This is episode 174 of IDRA Class Notes. So when these changes came about, these families got very, very concerned because they thought our children are the first ones they're going to consider non-college material. They did a survey of 1,600 families, and they took on the challenge of continuing to inform communities and families. Mm -hmm. Look, if you want your kid to go to college, you better look and see, are they taking Algebra 2 and stuff like that? These are things they are quite open to. They want to know, like, how can we influence the policy and practice <coughs> of our schools? Because we want the very best schools for our kids. Welcome to another Class Notes podcast. This is Paula Johnson. I'm here this afternoon with Mr. Aurelio Montemayor, and we're discussing the Education Cafe Families Transforming Schools. Welcome, Mr. Montemayor. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about a very special program here at IDRA called Education Cafe. Can you please tell our listeners what that is? Well, it's our current form of our family leadership project. Somewhere around 1980, we started focusing on an aspect of family engagement that it wasn't very much available in, in, in schools and in society. Traditional family involvement has been either to help families become better parents in some way or have them volunteer in school, help raise money, perhaps other kinds of events. But focusing on the families as being able to know about and influence practice and policy hasn't been part of the mainstream in family engagement or parent involvement as it used to be called. So some years back, our family leadership took several different lives. And um, about 10 years ago, I was on the National PTA Board. And uh, as I investigated and saw the history of PTA, I approached the organization saying, what if you had a different model for your organizations? And so we started in South Texas with some organizations along the border, community organizations, and they formed actually comunitarios that were officially PTAs, but they were based in community organizations and did no fundraising by design. They didn't want to do fundraising. And so as we started working with it, it spread like wildfire. <laughs> there are now nine <coughs> groups and one more forming in the valley that's along the border to Mexico between Brownsville and Rio Grande. And these are community-based organizations where families get information and data about schools, and some of it they collect themselves, and they use it to see how they can improve their neighborhood public schools. And so Education Cafe is now our current project, recently funded by the Kellogg Foundation, to spread this model to the state of Texas. It's already strong in South Texas, and so now we're looking at doing the same thing in Houston, in Dallas-Fort Worth, in El Paso, and in the Corpus area. So that's where we are with it right now. So that's our expansion, the expansion of the program. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me, when you read about, even when it was Pitié Comunitario and now Education Café, you emphasize that it begins in a community organization. What exactly does that mean? Because it's not like forming a PTA at a campus. No. Uh, in fact, that was one of the challenges that traditional PTAers would say, well, who's your principal? What's your campus? And these families are connected to campuses, but they're based in the community. So their children go to different schools and even across school districts, and they, they aren't the traditional kind of mothers who volunteer to help on campus. 
Because it is community-based, though, then it has much more independence and they can go as equals to a school district and say, we're concerned about the science scores or about the graduation requirements. We're concerned about the funding of schools. And they become partners with school districts. Each comunitario and now each education cafe has committees that go visits each of the campuses where their children are going. They're saying, we are from this group, from this, uh, this organization, and we would like to establish a relationship with you and work together so that our kids get the best possible education in in these neighborhoods. And because these families come from some of the poorest neighborhoods in South Texas, some of the unincorporated communities called colonias, it is really interesting because our assumption about families is like our assumption about children is that they are intelligent and strong and want the best for their kids. The fact that they might not speak English or that they're very poor doesn't stand in the way of their vision. And so drawing on that vision, these families a lot of times surprise schools who have some kind of a prejudice against a particular neighborhood or a particular group or whatever. And they're quite surprised to say, to hear these families say, my kid is college material. Please make sure that they're prepared for college. And so it does take some readjustment by the institution in terms of the institutional prejudices, you know, so. So it's interesting because you're mentioning this transformative way of parents and families interacting with the schools and because in the past historically we had these community schools mm-hmm. the school house yes. if you will was the center of the community all the children came to the same school mm-hmm. they went to school with their neighbors and now given that our districts are getting larger and larger children are not necessarily they're not connecting with in their personal life with school members but the PTA Comunitario, or now Education Cafe, is not just based on one school, nor right. is it about one grade level of primary, right. secondary, because I think it's in both directions. Right. The schools provide information to the parents and families, but what do the families bring to the school? Well, let me give an example, a very dramatic <clears throat> example of parents seeking their own data. Some years back in Texas, they modified the whole graduation requirement scheme. And under the guise of giving choices to students, they softened what used to be a four-by-four curriculum. Mm-hmm. All students in Texas to graduate from high school had to take four years of English, da 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 all mm-hmm. that stuff. Then they said, well, that's why we had... They used all kinds of excuses that it was too hard for most kids. Right. But when they say that, they're talking about poor students, students of color, color. you know, identified as not college material. So when these changes came about, these families got very, very concerned because they thought our children are the first ones they're going to consider non-college material. We're going to go back to the old vocab days and stuff like that, very limited preparation of our kids, especially to go to college. So two years into the the new policy, they did a survey of 1,600 families across two counties and 10 school districts. They knocked on doors. They did most of their interviewing in Spanish. These were Spanish-speaking families. They found out that large numbers of parents had no idea whether their kids were on college track, the the students that were in secondary education. Those that had some information had gotten it through the comunitarios. That's where they gotten their information. And so when they collected all this data and we helped them with the report, they had a large uh, community meeting, close to 200 people, Mesa Comunitaria, and they reported it and and stuff. And they took on the challenge of continuing to inform communities and families. Mm. Look, if you want your kid to go to college, you better look and see, if, are they taking Algebra 2 and stuff like that? 
And so the parents are very informed. We're now in the process of informing them about the new Title I, the ESA, and so that they understand that schools that get federal monies have certain things they have to produce for the children, for the families. There's a family involvement requirements. And these are things that are quite open to. They want to know, like, how can we influence the policy and practice <clears throat> of our schools? Because we want the very best schools for our kids. It's interesting because here at IDRA, we talk about equitable opportunities and access for students mm-hmm. for their education, the quality of their education. But the Education Cafe is actually increasing access an opportunity for parents on information about their students. So is the Education Cafe limited to Texas as a state? Oh, not at all. First of all, through the Kellogg Grant, obviously it's Texas-specific and taking it to other communities in Texas. But we also have a project that works in the whole South. You know, our mm-hmm. EAC South project works in Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, all the way to D.C., yes. Florida. And so we are now seeing there is a network of community organizations that are concerned, for example, with what they call the school-to-prison pipeline, mm-hmm. and they want to block that. I don't like that phrase, but I understand the urgent need that families have to see to make sure their kids are educated, not put into the prison system, you know? And so it's a perfect issue for an education cafe network. We're right now talking to some people in Georgia, some people in Arkansas, and what we hope is to have a network of education cafes all over the South, eventually nationally, where families are coming together, organizing in some fashion to make sure that schools are giving their kids the best possible education, that they're preparing them for college. And if the kid doesn't want to go to college, that's a different issue, but they have to be prepared for post-secondary education in such a way that they will succeed. So in in your mind's eye, given everything that is asset-based about this particular initiative, three to five years from now, with the national network in place, do you see any time that members could meet together? Well, I think there's many possibilities. For example... There are quite a few organizations all over the country concerned about the excessive and negative discipline of boys of color. Latino and black youth are just, they're being hit hard. And it's really clear that there's an institutional bias and that instead of educating children, they are doing other things. And so it's not hard to bring families together. I think what we need is to make sure that there's on the ground groups and structures already doing it. And now with, with media and, and the internet and all that, there's all kinds of communication that can happen. And if there's face-to-face conferences, that's great. But the idea is that there's family strength. Because the other thing about the Education Cafe, it's at the local level connecting families with each other with their common vision of education. It's a way for families to work together across neighborhoods and everything else to to improve their schools. Because we find that across the board, across class, race, ethnicity, the vision that families have in terms of the education of their children seems to be universal. We want our kids to get the best possible education so that they really have some choices. So with a spotlight on the Education Cafe and the success that it's had so far, especially here in South Texas, if I were in another area of the state or the United States, and I hear about this program, how might I be able to begin an education cafe? Well, first of all, online, if you see, this article came out in in May, there's a connection to the five steps. We have a visual, a very beautiful visual there that was developed in-house 
that says, here are the five steps to starting an education cafe. Contact us to get a startup packet. Identify individuals interested in starting such a group. Hold a planning meeting. Hold an organizing meeting. And then contact us for follow-up assistance. We'd be glad to work with you. So at the end of the day, schools and families are working together to increase success for students through family partnerships with the schools. Any closing thoughts on why schools really need to integrate these types of programs? We've found now for over 40 years that when you change your vision of students, of children, and look at them for their assets and strengths, gives you success. Doing that with families gives you even more success because families are going to be the ones that are going to want to keep those doors open in those schools. Absolutely. I totally concur. This has been another Class Notes podcast. I'm Paula Johnson. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.